ride in five, four, three. You can do the imaginary countdown, everybody. How you doing? My name is Mark Ryan. Welcome back to the Questioning Mark podcast. And we have an educator in the house, and this is going to be exciting because it is a field that I don't really know much about, to be honest. And we're talking with Amanda, John Malkovich, Malkovich, Nar- I can't, I'm not going to get it right. Can you tell me your last name? Nakovich. There we go. Um, head of high school science. How do, you, how do you say it? How do you say your title if you write an email? Head of science in the secondary Beautiful. faculty. Yeah. Okay. You can see I, I'm good at talking, but maybe just not really good with my words. I don't know if, that, if those two things go together. Let's start it off with something that's happening here in the primary. Uh, shout out to Osama Responsive Classroom, getting kids and students well, that's the same thing, students and teachers, I should say, to think about their hopes and their dreams. And they try to capture it within a, I don't know, a time frame that the kids can think about. So don't try to say, uh, I'm going to be an architect. It's okay, but let's think of a hope and a dream that we can achieve within this academic term. When you were a student, what did you think about hopes and dreams? Were they long down the road things or did you look at them for something that happened, I don't know, in six months? I always imagined imagined myself on the stage after school. So I'm thinking maybe the timeline is directly after high school. Okay. And I guess because I went to a music school and because I had a lot of um, art and literature and theatre and musical theatre in my life that I always imagined that I'd be front and centre as the diva of a production. There we go. And you say a music school... <laughs> Like, you had more music lessons and stuff than most... Like, how, how does that work when you say that? Um, in my particular area where I was growing up, the secondary school had a music focus in that region. So many students auditioned to come to my school. Okay. So it's similar. I spoke with Carlos on an episode, and he also kind of applied to this performing arts school. I, I remember in my high school, we had our performances but it kind of seemed more like raha in the sense where you know you had two or three a year there was kind of one set for your age demographic and yes. you kind of tried out you guys had lots of opportunities to perform were there yeah, more than it, most it, it was similar to that there was the internal productions okay. and it every year it uh, swapped between a theater production and a musical production but then, like Stephen's doing now in the secondary school, there's a lot of opportunities to go out and perform externally. Okay. So there was um, madrigals or there was orchestras or, or other productions that we performed in. Right. And you say like that was a hope and you always envisioned yourself on stage. Is that still something that's in the back of your mind? Is it still something you, you do a little bit? Well, when, many of my students, when they find out that I used to act and sing and, and, and I studied opera, ask me why I don't do that anymore. Right. And I say, are you kidding? This is what I do every day in front of you. I have to get up and use those skills as oh, a teacher. No. Okay, okay. <laughs> so you're constantly putting the mask on when you're leaving the parking lot or something and becoming this character. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Okay. I think I think teaching in front of a class or even presenting in front of an audience is a production of sorts. You know, you have to prepare for it. Sure. You have to have some amount of self-control. You have to project your voice. You have to impart some sort of information or, or yeah, I think it's very similar. Okay. And uh, I guess, would it be easier as a teacher in the sense that you know, it's not like you're presenting Macbeth or something something where they know the script. You know, you can kind of go off script some days yeah. and kind of do your thing. And 
I do enjoy that with older students because they themselves have a little bit more life experience and they also have their own opinions and and they're used to abstract thinking, as you'd understand, um, teaching art. So you can go off script a little bit more with older kids. Okay. Um, I like that because actually a passion of mine is talking about uh, teacher voice before student voice and the fact that the more you share with your students the more they will connect with you and the more opportunities they'll have to reach out to you and ask you maybe something about their, your discipline, but actually they want to connect with you just as a person. And the more of these connections you have, the stronger the learning can be in your, in your classroom. How do you let students know that you were a trained opera singer? Is, that, do you have, is this these moments that you think, oh, this is a moment to say it, I'm just gonna do it now? Yeah, I think more relevant here is when I'm teaching ESS and I'm meeting students for the first time, we do, um, they do actually want to know, am I qualified to teach this subject or- You have or, to give them your CV when you walk in? Yeah, more, <laughs> more or less, because it's, it's relatively new. They may not have met me in grade 10 or 11. Right. And uh, I, I tend to share my experiences as working as an outdoor educator. Um, because that's relevant to field studies in in my subject that I teach in in DP. Um, But along the way, I think that um, I always give time to the beginning of the year, establishing those relationships by asking students, you know, how how do you want the classroom to work? And then I have to offer my voice to that as well. So it's a negotiation. Um, I do find it's very successful if they know more about me. Okay, and I was going to save this for the end, but can we just jump on that right now? Can you explain ESS? What would it have compared to before? If it's kind of, is it is this a new thing? Is it not? Should should I know this already? And I just I just don't know anything. Well, it's one of those outlier science subjects. <laughs> Be careful subjects. what you say there. <laughs> <laughs> it's no, it's a little bit of an outlier science subject. It doesn't come into its own before it receives that title in the DP. It's part of the sciences, but it does actually have one element of humanities or social studies involved. So by the title, environmental systems and societies, we do have to look at human impacts on the environment. Right. So this is the subject where you get to look at um, abiotic factors such as, you know, uh, CO2 in the atmosphere. And you need to look at the contributors to CO2 in the atmosphere. So industry, um, you know, people, sure. driving cars, those sorts of things. So it's a confluence of um, science and really the studies of climate change right. in today's day and age. Well, it seems like uh, quite a relevant subject area. Is there a huge demand for it now? Do you find year after year more and more students coming into your classes? It fluctuates. Okay. Um, what I find the students say about this subject is probably one of the most important subjects that they study out of the suite of subjects that they have. Um, I think it's because of its relevancy. They're obviously thinking about um, the state of affairs of their planet and the sure. planet that they're about to inherit, but also because I think they can see connections to economics and they can see um, connections to psychology and behavior and um, development as such so yeah they say it's very important as far as student numbers I think that it's more about whether or not it fits into where you want to go to university quite often this happens in the DP is okay. your choice of tertiary institutes dictates what you should be studying in grade 11 and 12 so. right right there's certain requirements to apply yeah. for certain courses or 
certain yeah. programs. Um, I want to switch a, a gear and go into, and this is, this is going to seem like a horrible segue into something, mixed martial arts. So sorry for the <laughs> listeners. They, were, they weren't ready for that plot twist. But you, um, you have a partner also teaching at the school, big into mixed martial arts. Um, in my experience with my partner, she is not, I'm a runner, but she's not into running. And there's been no interest in running, which is completely fine. Actually, it works out in my yeah. interest. Um, it took me a while to figure out that it did, but it does. Uh, how about for you? Mixed martial arts and ESS. Is that, does that go hand in hand? I am a spectator, sport, a spectator of um, mixed martial arts, not a sports person. Okay. So I don't engage in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, although I have studied Aikido once upon a time. Would you know a lot about it? If you watch, could you, could you even know more than some? Because, you know, oftentimes, uh, I'm going to go back to a story of myself. Like I, as, I grew up as a swimmer. And my father, driving home, would always talk about my technique. Mm. But he can't really swim. Mm. Like, so even now when we go to the cottage, he still wears a life jacket to kind of feel safe in open water. Where, but if I did the butterfly, he could, you know, you know your, your fingers weren't really coming out at the end. He, he could tell me everything about it. He just couldn't actually do it. Yeah, I think some of the best coaches aren't actually natural athletes. Right. It's just that they can um, analyze performance especially you know motor movement right and sometimes it is better to look at afar to discover what you're doing right or or incorrectly right. in order to adjust it but yeah i mean i know enough about um jiu-jitsu and mixed martial arts to enjoy enjoy it as a spectator i know some of the moves um i listen to the commentary right um so you're a big joe rogan fan maybe yeah i love joe rogan <laughs> um and but i don't feel the need to participate right much like your father i feel like uh actually i particularly like working out alone right i i actually like it for its meditative appeal more so than its um communal appeal right but i do see the value in mixed martial arts in terms of it's a great skill it's very physical. It involves problem solving. Yeah. And I think it's uh, certainly a good tactile sport where you get to um, try and manage your emotions because you can get stuck in very awkward positions. Right. And I think this is a great skill to be able to control yourself um, in difficult circumstances and then try and think your way out physically and, and mentally out of a problem. And if we were to link that to how you are as an educator. Um, you like to, to sit back, take it in, you can kind of see what's going on inside that octagon or that ring. And, but on the other side, you like to go and work out by yourself and kind of set your own standards for, for what is success or what is a good workout. Do you, do you do the same thing as an educator in the classroom? Yeah, I think this more, it's probably better to describe this as how, as I, how I am as a leader in the sense that I have to have the big picture for my faculty. And I think it's better for me to sort of get an overview or a bird's eye view on that and try and keep all of the parts moving efficiently. Right. And then what I do personally is the processing of that by myself. So that's that activity that I do by myself. Right. I have to be an extrovert in my role as a head of faculty. I have to work with people, relationships, students, parents, and stuff. And that must be, come naturally from your schooling as the, I want to be on stage. Does it kind of flow <laughs> into that? Orchestrating. Yes. Yes. There you go. 
Um, but then I think that what I need personally outside of school is that time to process and think through things and, and, and have creative space. And this would lead me into the last point. And just like that, the podcast is over. Um, PD, professional development. What do you do to find your knowledge? And I know I'm kind of, before we do these podcasts to the listeners, I kind of go over some kind of, these are some points that we'll talk about. And I didn't really throw this out. But just, uh, yeah, what do you do to find, you know, what it is that you're going to help you to get through your day? I think this marries well with the idea that I process a lot outside of work. I research okay. a lot. I'm, I'm, I'm very much a champion of um, pedagogical best practices. So if I have a problem to solve, I'll try and find out the answer through researching what other people have done. Okay. Or um, if I know that it's something that's particular to the Raha community, I'll go and ask questions. So I'm often out of my office right. asking other people. Face-to-face, yeah. what do you think about this? If we were to give some tips to um, people just entering the education field, maybe new teachers here at Raha or within Talim, um, how do you go about researching? Like, what's that first step? How do you know that this is a reliable source and I'm going to go from... Do you have, like, one kind of go-to spot that kind of branches out? Or how do you, how do you go about that? Well, I find... Uh, there are some good resources out there. I tend to to use um, some of the UK websites that um, there's a lot of posters around the school that are from them. Okay. Um, it's called Inner Drive. Uh, so they are often uh, producing new research and collating what's called meta analysis. So they take a lot of different studies and then they give you okay the bare bones of that. Um, and then they start to apply it into posters or very user-friendly um, resources for teachers. Right. Um, but other than that, I'm more of a traditionalist. I still have accounts with academic search engines. I find with working with DP students, I have to be able to produce academic test texts that are peer-reviewed journals. So right. I'm, I'm back in my university databases right. um, looking at some of the greats of um, education, but also um, trying to figure out, you know, if there's any new research coming out from there as well. Awesome. Thank you so much for stopping by the studio. And we will take the ringtone, the alarm, as the cue to end our podcast. Anyone out there? Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining the Questioning Mark podcast. I'll see you next time. Amanda, thank you very much. Thanks, Mark.